Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. to Nuggets Numbers. I am your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Thursday night in Denver, Colorado. As we get into the player rankings discussion, this is going to be a really interesting podcast and to to help evaluate some of the really odd, interesting, quirky pod or like player rankings that came out, I have founder and editor of NBA Math and quality editor of Bleacher Report, Adam Fromal, returning as a returnee guest for the Nuggets Numbers podcast. Adam, how are you doing, man? Doing fantastic. Uh, glad to be back on and, and really happy for you with the, uh, the promotion of site manager. I was really pleased to see that. Thanks, man. It's been it's been quite the interesting time. Uh, very, very busy, as, as anybody can imagine, but uh, it's just more complaining for me than ever. Uh, I've got a great staff that has helped support me through it, so we're we're going to continue building and got a lot of exciting things planned for Media Day coming on Monday. So, but either way, we're gonna we're gonna get right into these player rankings, man, because this has been this has been an interesting time for for the NBA calendar. Every time. Uh, August rolls around, you get into the drought of NBA coverage, and, and people start arguing on NBA Twitter. And then September rolls around, and the player rankings start rolling out there. And I wanted to get your opinion first on the rankings process before we delve into the Sports Illustrated rankings, the ESPN rankings, and kind of what it means for the Nuggets. Uh, do rankings matter? Do you even care about them? Should people care about rankings? I do just because I enjoy trying to contextualize where people stand within the league, where people stand within all-time pecking orders and whatnot. Um, but you know, it's always so important to view exactly what they're intended to be. Um, they're not always scientific studies. They they have to have clearly defined ranking criteria so that we know whether we're looking back on entire careers or just what happened in the recent past or if we're projecting into the future, whether they're based on numbers or more overall impact on the court. Um, and, and without those, they're a bit of, they're, they can verge on useless. But when done properly, I do think they add a lot to the conversation and the overall tenor of the discussions we have as basketball fans. I, I definitely agree with you. The the rankings are so polarizing in terms of the outlet that they come from, where certain players are ranked. There are certain uh, like like definite uh, lightning rod players that that people have strong opinions about. For for example, Clay Thompson this year, coming off of an ACL tear, was ranked relatively low in terms of what his national perception is for the for the kind of player that he is and there was a lot of outcry because he was ranked really low when in reality if you read the articles that he's not going to play he's not going to play until march april maybe even later and or not at all so having him ranked was was 
pretty surprising in my opinion, given given where he's going to be. But if he is going to come back during the season, then there is some context there. There's some criteria there that all these guys have to meet. Uh, you've done rankings before at Bleacher Report. You've done a lot for NBA math. We've actually contributed, and I'm uh, honored to be one of the contributors for Crystal Basketball, which, which will come out, I assume, in the not-too-distant future. Uh, but what do you value specifically for each of these rankings? Uh, when when you're trying to simply evaluate a player, are you looking regular season or or playoff contribution? Are you looking stats, just like straight numbers versus trying to contextualize those as much as possible? Does the eye test come into account here? What's kind of your ranking process if, if you were to have one? Yeah, it, it might be a bit of a cop-out answer, but it's, it's a combination of all of that. I mean, you, you can't really exclusively look at the regular season without looking at players who have shrunk in the moment during the playoffs or have really risen to the moment, but you have to recognize that that's a small sample. Um, then you have players, I mean, Clay Thompson's another example where if you evaluate him purely with numbers, he's going to come out lower than he should because certain aspects of his game and the way that primary metrics are calculated, it tends to undervalue what he brings to the table without really propping him up for, for what he does well. So it, it does have to be a combination of all of that. And, you know, I've, I've talked about that a lot in the past with like Devin Booker is another great example where it's always so tough to place him because he's putting up big numbers, but do they mean much on a team that isn't winning games and how do you balance those factors? So it, it's all about, you know, making sure that that seesaw is going back and forth properly. Totally agree. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, I've, I have actually created a personal uh, player ranking based solely off of last season with some adjustments to the playoffs, and I actually found a way to to have Clay Thompson ranked 25th, uh, which I think, based off of all measures, is generally high when you when you factor in statistical rankings by themselves, uh, because he's he's a guy who has a very niche role, but he fills that role extremely well. It just depends on what you value. And when you talk about a guy like Devin Booker specifically, if you value points, rebounds, and assists, then absolutely he's going to come out really well with that. He averages over 26 points per game, uh, seven assists around. Like those are those are elite numbers. And somebody that you think, okay, hey, that guy definitely better than a guy like Jamal Murray, or definitely better than a guy like even Nikola Jokic, who only averages 20 points and seven assists. So. But there's so much context that has to be applied to all of these players, and I, I feel and I, I definitely uh, respect a lot of these rankings for what they do, but if they have different criteria, then it's hard to gauge them just for the number value that they put out, because something that somebody else values probably isn't something that somebody different values. So... Uh, crystal basketball, like you did, it, it takes it from a from a different perspective of just simply ranking players on a one to twelve scale. It completely simplifies the process, in my opinion. You want to talk a little about little bit about crystal basketball and how how that came to be? Yeah, essentially, what I wanted to do was to bring together people from throughout the basketball community and and really balance all of the opinions that we had about these players, uh, factoring in whatever we wanted to factor in, but operating on a similar ranking scale, which as you mentioned is that that 1 to 12 scale. Uh, Only 1 to 12 is allowed to be given out, which is your 
designation for the best player in the league, and it goes down from there where 11 is an MVP frontrunner and 10 was a fringe MVP candidate, so on and so forth, down to a player who received a one we really don't think should be getting minutes in the NBA unless disaster strikes. So by making sure that we're all operating on that similar field, it allows us to kind of mesh together a bunch of different opinions and kind of see where the consensus is. So it, it really shouldn't be viewed as like this is the, the be-all, end-all of the rankings where if this guy is a little bit ahead of the other player, then he's definitely better. But in terms of a ballpark estimate, I, I really like what it does. And because we've kept the ranking methodology consistent over the years, we can also compare how players have risen and fallen over the last couple of seasons. I'll share the player who ranked number 12, who was the given the number 12 designation if you share it. Absolutely. I had Giannis Antetokounmpo as the top guy. I'm right there with you. It's very surprising. I think this this general playoff run was very polarizing for a lot of people because on one hand, he dominated through the first 12 games that the Milwaukee played uh, between the the nine games that he played against Detroit and, and Boston, and then the first three games that he played against, uh, I think it was three, maybe it was two, that he played against Toronto, but then switched the other contender, I think for many people, uh, Kawhi Leonard onto him, and, and things seemed to fall apart. But the mere fact that he was able to do that, I think, should should warrant the top spot, given that he was the MVP throughout the season, I think. There's, there's a lot of different things that go into it, but the the Toronto Raptors had to change their entire defense, kind of like a guy like Stephen Curry. Uh, they had to ch- Teams generally have to change their entire defensive concepts to guard a guy like that. So uh, it's, it's very polarizing. You can make a number of arguments for a variety of different people. Uh, but yeah, I some people prioritize stats. Some people prioritize the previous season. Like, like I think Sports Illustrated does that a little bit more. Some people project forward, and I think that ESPN has done that a lot. Uh, if you had to choose between evaluating kind of what happened versus projecting what will happen, uh, how would you rank players in 2019 with that concept? What I tend to do is find some sort of composite metric or a number of different ones and then just immediately sort everyone by that and then work from there. So I'm using what happened in the past as a baseline and then adjusting it both for the growth or regression that I expect to see as well as where I think the numbers are misleading. Um, so it's, it's definitely a combination of the two. Uh, but I think based on what happens second, I would say that I view it more as a projection than a retrospective look. Okay. So based off of that, I, I think you would probably, like, unfortunately, I don't think ESPN did a great job of this, but, but you would generally line up more with the ESPN rankings if they valued the same things that you did. Yes, most likely, though I hesitate to say that because we have so many more gripes with the ESPN rankings than the Sports Illustrated ones we'll talk about. (laughs) Yes, we do. We will talk about that. Right now, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about the Sports Illustrated rankings first, starting with the top 10 players and moving from there. We will be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. 
And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right, we're back. Nuggets numbers. Ryan Blackburn here. I'm with Adam Fromall. Uh, going to have a great time discussing the Sports Illustrated rankings, and I wanted to start with the top 10 because I think that that's probably the best place to start with every list. Uh, the first 10 guys, and, and they have released their full list, uh, ESPN is still waiting to release their top two players for whatever reason. Uh, that was that was a clickbaity thing if, if I ever saw one, but, uh, but right now Sports Illustrated has ranked the top 10 Giannis at one, Kawhi at two, LeBron at three. And we'll stop there because I think that that's a natural break in terms of where we probably should be talking. It's the the MVP of this year, the finals MVP, and I think the best player of our generation bar none. Uh, did you differentiate from what Rob Mahoney did over at Sports Illustrated? No, I didn't. I think if I had to, it might be bumping LeBron down into the next tier, just, you know, age-related regression, but I totally get how a player with his reputation, especially in a situation where he's going to be more motivated this year, where he has more help around him, where he's he could very well emerge as a lock for those top three spots again, and maybe even elevate back up above Kawhi or Giannis, but that, that is the order that I would have as well. Yeah, I, I think I, I tend to agree with you. The one thing that I would be a little bit concerned with, uh, I would go Giannis, LeBron, Kawhi, uh, because I tend to think that Kawhi is a little bit more dependent on the supporting cast around him than a guy like Giannis, than a guy like LeBron, because he doesn't really create for others as well. Uh, I, I can understand why people would disagree with that because of what he was able to do creating shots for himself in the finals and throughout the playoffs. But there were there were times where, like people talked about the supporting cast on Toronto being really bad, and you turn around and you've got Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry and Marcus Saul, and those guys are all creating shots for each other, and Danny Green's an all and an all defense level guy, and so that allowed Kawhi to really score and do his best because he had facilitators and smart players around him. Uh, that, to, that to me is a, a hesitation that I have with the Los Angeles Clippers this year specifically because I don't think they have a, a great facilitator in that starting lineup right now. No, they don't. And I, I do think that Kawhi, for me, is a great example of how it can be tough to strike that balance between the regular season and the playoffs. And just based on his situation, I tend to value the playoffs a little more for him because we know that load management was such a priority and that he might have been pacing himself a little more in the regular season. And during that, that playoff run, you know, that, that championship run, I should say, it, it really felt at times like we were watching – a, a new version of like Michael Jordan it, during some quarters where just he would take over with those mid-range shots that seemed so eerily reminiscent of what MJ used to do in the playoffs. And, you know, I'm not trying to say that he's the second coming of Jordan or anything like that, but with that as the most fresh memory that we have combined with the, the caveats that I have to apply to his regular season, I do tend to value that a little bit more for him. Totally, totally get it. Uh, let's move to four and five with Curry and Harden. Uh, 
this is this is kind of an interesting discussion. There's 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 a lot of controversy about these two players in particular. A lot of strife. Uh, Curry, basically the the off ball system for for the Golden State Warriors, running around screens, uh, forcing the defense to con- contort to wherever he goes. Uh, he's the efficiency god. Uh, versus the on ball system and in, in James Harden, who pounds the ball into the ground and and make sure to get the best possible shot possible for himself, but also being able to facilitate for others and, and being able to throw the lob to a guy like Clint Capella or the, or the weak side corner pass to PJ Tucker or whoever's sitting there. Uh, Which of those guys would you value right now? Do you think Rob got it right in putting Curry over Harden? I do. I I think that that Harden was, the more valuable player, I hesitate to say better, uh, just because Steph is so good and his role was a little bit different. But I do think that he was the more valuable player last year. I just have more questions about his situation going forward. You know, we, we don't really know how the dynamic's going to work with, with Westbrook and how much they're going to push the pace when he's on the court, which does not really play into what Harden likes to do, versus Curry, where all of a sudden you take Durant back out of the picture, and we've seen how Curry was the, the star that lifted Golden State to the highest heights by himself over the last couple of years, even with Durant in town. So I would be more surprised to see Harden replicate his MVP caliber play than Curry rekindle his. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I think I I think I agree with you there. And given, <coughs> excuse me, uh, given the addition of D'Angelo Russell, there's, there's going to be some interesting give and take between those two guys. But if there is an alpha, it's definitely Curry. Uh, with him being a a ball, a more ball dominant guy at this case, uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he plays off of Draymond when he has Alfonso McKinney out there, or Willie Cauley Stein as the center, or or guys like that who aren't necessarily the most impactful players compared to a Kevin Durant or Andre Iguodala or even even a a great passing big man like Andrew Bogut or somebody like that. There's going to be a different dynamic there, and Curry's going to have the ball in his hands a lot, but I struggle to think that he'll get through an 82-game season with that kind of load that, that he's definitely going to have to carry. But we're going to see. I, I He's done it before, and, and he's not out of his prime just yet, so I, I wouldn't blame anybody for, for having him above, the, above a guy like Harden. I would have Curry above Harden, too, Uh at least, at least for the time being. But we'll see what he does with the larger workload. Uh, let's go to Davis versus Embiid versus Jokic. Uh, those guys, six, seven, and eight, all in a row. Uh, that's that was an interesting group. I feel like that's a very natural grouping right there with the three kind of unicorn big men that are that do things in different ways. But uh, how would you how would you rank those guys right now? Because Rob had them at. Davis six and beat seven, Jokic eight. He laid out his argument pretty well. Uh, I think there's an argument that th- this could be reversed, though. So I want to hear your thoughts about it. Yeah, I, I would bump Jokic above Embiid personally. I, I do have Davis ahead of him, and I kind of think there's a natural tear break just given how well he played before the trade demands and everything that that ensued from there. Um, for me, I, I kind of have Jokic and Embiid grouped together in another tier with Paul George and Lillard below them. Uh, And I think that you can kind of make arguments for 
any order of those players, depending on what you value. Uh, for me, Jokic is the fewest weakest weaknesses. Uh, specifically compared to Embiid, I still have questions about his outside shooting and his, his tendency to fire away, which does benefit him sometimes when players close out against him too strong um, but you know the turnover issues as well um, and the ability to stay on the court uh, those those to me are just slightly more worrisome than Jokic's slight defensive problems which can be overblown at times definitely agree with you there um, the reason why I would hesitate with Davis specifically was just I, I kind of have the same thing with him and Kawhi. I like to know that the player that I'm counting on can create with the ball in his hands and can effectively create for others in a playoff setting. We've seen Jokic do it. We've seen Embiid kind of captain a defense in the playoffs, uh, at least a little bit better than I think we've seen against with Davis so far. Uh, but I, I I understand the the reason to put Davis above those guys. He's a proven scorer. He's a proven defender when his mind is into it. Uh, I just have a I have a problem because Jokic is kind of an offense unto himself. Uh, with with him out there, you're going to have an elite offense no matter what. Uh, Embiid is a defense unto himself. Uh, New Orleans had a decent supporting cast, like. Drew Holiday is a good player, and and they had a variety of other quality pieces in Julius Randle, Nikola Mirotic. Uh, they've had they had some wing problems, of course, but that's not the be all end all in this case. But Davis was unable to lift those guys up, and he's been un- unable to lift those guys up for a while now. So, I I have a I have a, tr- a a little bit of trouble putting him above. Guys like Embiid, Jokic, who are kind of like ceiling raisers for their teams as opposed to Davis, who I think is more of a floor raiser at this point. I think that's totally fair. I would also point out that Davis has had a little bit less continuity just in terms of the coaching staff and the members of his supporting cast, which does make it a little bit tougher to elevate sometimes. But if I have to like try to verbalize why exactly... I think he's ahead. It's kind of that he raises both ends. You know, we you said that, that Jokic is an offense unto himself, um, and they're always going to be elite when he's out there, and the same is true for Embiid on defense. Uh, and maybe Davis doesn't quite get to that level on either end of the court, but he's close on both. So I think he, he gives you more flexibility um, if, you, if you do have the ability to put the right pieces around him. Really looking forward to see how he can do that next to Dwight Howard at center. So... Yes. We're going to we're going to have a Yeah, we're going to have I a great time with that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I, I was going to say I do also think that it's uh it's great that this feels like the first off season where Jokic isn't questioned that he's being put this high, the debate isn't whether he should be here, it's where he fits within this tier. You know, I think that this last playoff run really proved his legitimacy to so many people on the national stage and it's great to see. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's really it is really nice to see that uh, he's had a lot of issues in the past with with people questioning various things, and he'll still get that with his defense, of course, uh, because it's it's such a it's such a nuanced thing what he does on defense that makes him a valuable defender. Uh, but we'll see what happens. We'll see how that develops. Uh, okay, we're gonna jump out of that tier a little bit. Um, I want to jump to the other nuggets that that made this list. Uh, Let's start with Jamal Murray at 38. Uh, To me, this was a higher ranking than I anticipated just because I I tend to think that SI really values a lot more of the analytics 
Uh, and, and a guy like Murray had a, had a, a rougher season in terms of analytic performance last year. His true shooting percentage went down, didn't really make a lot of progress as a, as a scorer, but his playoff run did a lot to prove things in his favor last year. Uh, what did you think of the Jamal Murray performance and, and, and his ranking this year? Uh, how would you how would you say a thirty eight ranking should go over with Nuggets fans? Yeah, I, I think you really nailed it, and I think that Sports Illustrated nailed it as well. I, I would say that I was surprised that he was that high as well, just knowing how they construct their rankings. But I think it's the right spot for him, um, where maybe his performance last year didn't justify that kind of placement, but he did enough to inspire belief. You know, we really saw his his ball handling improve. We saw more defensive effort. We saw that takeover ability in playoff games. And the first two parts there were the big knocks against him. Um, so just proving that he had the ability to shore up those areas should go a long way, and I think it did here. Yeah, I... It's, it's interesting to see how the other young guards in the NBA are ranked in contrast with him. Guys like Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker and, and De'Aaron Fox were a little bit higher than him on, on this kind of ranking, while D'Angelo Russell was, was a little bit lower and actually surprisingly low, I would say, though I don't know if it's necessarily unfair. Uh where do you see Murray in that pecking order of young guards, and and how do how do you think Murray's role versus those guys really changes where he's ranked? Um, you know, he hasn't really had a chance to be that true solo star like Devin Booker has, which in Denver's case is a fantastic problem to have. Right. Um, but I, I do ultimately think that this is the right spot. I would put him above Russell, who I still kind of question the sustainability of what we saw last year as a great performance, but I don't know how much a guy who doesn't really draw any fouls is going to, to be able to sustain that kind of performance. But I, I do think that, that Mitchell and, and Booker um, have shown more complete games to this point. I still love Murray's ceiling, and you know we've talked about you and I have talked about it before. How I, he's one of those players for me where I, I just see his, him shoot that jumper with that kind of confidence, and I can't help but think it's all going to click. But at this stage of his career, I, I think he's at the right spot in that hierarchy. There were a lot of things working against his efficiency last year, so I don't want to really penalize him too much for that. Uh, you're, you are a, an Atlanta Hawks fan, correct? I am, yes. How did you react to Trey Young being ranked 62 versus where all of these other guards were ranked, like Russell and Murray and Booker and guys like that? I actually think that, that Trey Young was one of my few like bigger gripes with Sports Illustrated, uh, with Sports Illustrated's rankings here. Um, I, I do think he belonged higher than that based on what we saw throughout the second half. But that said, I totally get the argument for having him that low because he was arguably the least valuable defensive player in the NBA last year. I think that we could definitely see some progress um, in, in that facet of his game just based on that transition from first-year guard to second-year guard and being more accustomed to handling that workload. So often we see the offensive breakthrough come first and then the defense catch up to speed once you're used to, to shouldering that kind of responsibility. So again, like I get why he's that low. Uh, just because of what Sports Illustrated is trying to do here. Uh, but he, w- he would have been higher for me personally. Last week, uh, Josh Eberle, or I'm, excuse me, earlier this week, Josh Eberle, he came on and gave his thoughts about Murray. 
uh, he told he told me that he would expect Murray to average about twenty two to twenty three points per game this year. Uh, so over under twenty one point five points per game for Jamal Murray in twenty nineteen twenty twenty. I'm going to go under just because I'm not sure the shots will be there. I, I could see Monte Morris and Malik Beasley having slightly larger roles. I could see Michael Porter Jr. Uh, getting some minutes and taking away. Uh, what I would expect to see is a similar average on, on fewer shots. Uh, so I think that, that Murray is, is going to be just below 20, um, but play a much more efficient and effective brand of offensive basketball. Yeah, it's probably that's probably where I have it as well. I think I had him at about 20. That would be my estimation just because I think he, his role is going to increase slightly given kind of the the natural expectations. But let's move into some of the other other nuggets here. Uh Paul Millsap at 43. I'd say based off of his last year was probably right, though he'll he'll definitely move down in what I think is going to be a year where he steps back a little bit into the fold where Jeremy Grant is probably going to step up. Uh, you, uh, being an Atlanta Hawks fan, you're very familiar with Paul Millsap's game. Uh, Absolutely. How, like, did you did you kind of see the the 43rd overall ranking for him, and was that was that a a proper place? Uh, I think it's a little bit high. Uh, I, I think he's kind of a borderline top 50 guy, so it's in the right ballpark. And he has the undying pump fake that is always going to get guys up in the air, and we're seeing him get a little bit more comfortable with that slow-release three-pointer that Jokic finds so well. Um, but like you said, I, I think that the role might not be there to justify a spot quite that high. I mean, we're essentially saying like that's the second-best player on an average team if if we redistribute the talent in the league, and I'm sure. not quite sure that that he's going to be able to justify that. He's effective. He's a great leader, a great locker room presence. He, like you said earlier, he's a he's a floor elevating kind of player like Davis. Obviously, not of the same caliber, um, and that matters a lot for a team that's this deep and has this many young pieces. But I, I do think it's a little bit high, just based on natural regression we'll see from age and and his role on this team. All right, rapid fire, a couple of last questions on, on the SI list. Uh, Gary Harris at 48, I thought was surprisingly high just based off of solely 2018-19, where he was a little bit injured and he got banged up, but he, he came back and had a strong performance in that year. Do you think 48 is, is where he's going to be in 2019-2020? I know this is a podcast, not a video, but can my answer just be like a shrug emoji here? Because I really yeah. have no idea what to expect. I, I totally hear you. It's it's going to be interesting. I, I want to see Gary succeed just because he has he has all of the tools and, and the skill set to be able to, but like the Nuggets are, are a changing organism at this point. We're going to see how that goes. And then there are only four players on the Nuggets in the top 100. Who will the next Nuggets player be on this list next September? It's Malik Beasley. And that's for sure, in my opinion. Um, I'm totally buying into his three-point stroke. He's awesome in transition and shows a very fundamental understanding of spacing, which is so important playing with someone like Jokic, who also understands that and can get you the ball. And I'm very encouraged by his finishing numbers. He made 73.2% of his shots at the rim last year. That's like the the caliber of a top-tier big. Granted, most of those are created by assists. He's not really creating his own buckets driving into the paint. But it's still a really encouraging sign, and I feel like all the tools are there for him to make a massive leap. I think it's going to be Jeremy Grant, uh, just because I think he'll he'll be jumping into the rankings. I, I was really surprised. Actually, 
was he was he on this ranking specifically, or was he uh, was he in the he honorable was, mention? He was not, but he Barton and Beasley were all honorable mentions. That's right. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be Jeremy Grant, but you never know. We'll, we'll have to see what happens there. Okay, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to get to the more, uh, we'll call it controversial <laughs> ranking for the ESPN rankings. We'll be right back. We're back. Nuggets numbers. Ryan Blackburn here. I'm with Adam Fromall. I was flummoxed by these ESPN rankings, man. I, I'm not going to lie. I don't know who exactly wrote these. The, the blurbs that were writ, written separately came from a, a number of different writers, uh, a number of different contributors. So I, I assume it was voted upon. But there were a lot of curious rankings in this in this one. Uh, what do you think was the most surprising ranking of this of this list well well first i i guess i've had a problem with these rankings for years i think if you search through my twitter history i've definitely said some not so nice things about them just because <laughs> i don't know what they're trying to do you know like there isn't an established ranking methodology or purpose to them unlike mahoney who who very clearly like listed out what he was going for so it's kind of like this amorphous concept where i don't really know what's going on and that was just amplified this year especially with cj mccollum at 13 which i think is the obvious answer here but like what was that how in the world do you justify that i have no idea how that happened or how that wasn't like a giant red flag i wrote one one word on my notes on cj mccollum and that was why question mark like yeah and, and it's nothing against cj like he's an awesome basketball player he seems like a great person who interacts with with the media and other players so well and he has an entertaining and effective brand of basketball but he's not a top 13 guy in the nba he's never he's never made an all-star game and while that's not the be all end all of of NBA talent. I think it's at least a a kind of a, a good gentle reminder that if you haven't made an all-star game, then you probably don't deserve a top 15 ranking. Uh, those spots are reserved for the best of the best. And, and I, I just don't see him there. He like in the playoffs against Denver, like I think that was the, that was the moment where a lot of people were uh, surprised and and saw him as a potential superstar player. He averaged twenty six point four points, six rebounds, three assists against Denver in the playoffs. Murray averaged twenty three point six points and six rebounds and five point three assists in the playoffs. So he was like McCollum averaged a little bit better splits than Murray did, but it wasn't like egregiously more. So to me, I, I think clearly playoffs were the only justification for the rankings because that's why Derek Derek White ranked 23rd except oh wait he didn't he was 100th right exactly so it was it was very bizarre I I don't I don't get it but it is what it is like like more power to them for for doing something that has us talking about it that's that's all I can say about it uh let's let's go back to the top 10 though because I think it's pretty apparent 
the top 10 guys in the NBA based off of both the ESPN and, and SI lists. They had the same 10 guys in there, just in slightly different orders. Uh, they haven't dis- dis- disclosed the Giannis versus Kawhi in the top two, but LeBron was three, Harden four, Davis five, Curry was down at six, Jokic at seven, and Embiid at eight, Lillard at nine, and George at 10. So, Pretty much the same tiers other than flipping, I think, I think Davis and Curry around a little bit. Uh, do you agree with ESPN or SI's order for the top 10 more? Uh, it's hard without seeing one and two, but if we assume that it's Giannis first, then I'm, I'm still going to go with SI, but I think they're pretty comparable. Like, you know, for me, like those top six guys, and if you want to throw in a healthy Durant, the top seven are a tier of their own, and then... I already talked about how Jokic and Embiid and Lillard and George are kind of bunched together for me. So just because those those tiers are still intact, I'm very fine with both. But I do think that Steph belongs above Davis. And I think if there's one difference in each one for my personal rankings, that the, the higher up we go, the more important it should be. Is there a guy outside the top 10 that you think deserves serious consideration for being uh, a top 10 player? Yeah, see, I don't think so. I think that the the eleven to fifteen section is is the perfect place for him. I and I agree, and I think you could hear the hesitance in my answer, but that would be the top name to come to mind there. Yeah, the other one for me was Carl Anthony Towns, but they had him down at eighteen, which was very surprising to me as well. So, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see like Doncic elevate into that range, uh, but he's definitely not there yet. So it's it's hard to put him there in something like this. Yeah, so I think what what these lists kind of say is that the top 10 is really defined in terms of the players that need to be there. I think add Durant, add a healthy Durant back into that that tier as well. But so the top 10, top 11 players are pretty consistent and for Nuggets fans that should be pretty encouraging because Jokic is a part of that list and and fairly clearly I might add. Absolutely. No, I I, I totally agree with that. And it would be a little bit more interesting if Durant were included, uh, just because we don't really know what to expect post-Achilles rupture, and because it would bump one of those deserving candidates out of the top 10 spots. Besides the besides the C.J. McCollum ranking, uh, were there any other rankings that kind of stood out to you in both a good or a bad way? I have some examples if, if you're looking for them. Yeah, there were a bunch. Um, I have no <laughs> idea how you can... Drew Holiday, behind, he was 31st behind Trey Young at 28 and Jamal Murray at 27. That kind of blew my mind just because I think we really saw Holiday establish himself as a true two-way impact player who has a very deserving case for a top 20 spot. That was probably the biggest one to me, but I have more if you want to hear them. That one of the, one of the questions that I had for CJ McCollum specifically was, what does he do differently or better than Mike Conley at 24 or Giroux Holiday at 31 don't really do. So I, I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, Drew Holiday totally solidified himself as one of the best two-way players in the NBA right now. Uh, that guy deserves to be closer to the top 20 rather than outside the top 30. That's very, very disrespectful, I, I would say. If, if he was in the Eastern Conference, he would be a perennial all-star at this point. Absolutely. Um. Other guys that that kind of stood out. You you're right about the the young guards. I think that the the ESPN list in particular really showcased the desire to project forward. And there are a lot of young guards that 
that I think they consider superstars or or borderline superstars that are p- trying to get there. It's Doncic at 16. It's Trey Young. It's uh, Jamal Murray. It's Devin Booker. It's Donovan Mitchell. Like Donovan Mitchell at 20 and and Luka Doncic at 16 is oh it's it's aggressive. I, I'll say that it is. I, I think I do think Trey Young is the biggest or most egregious one though. Just. I don't know how you make an argument that he's a top 30 player right now just because we haven't seen the defensive improvements that would need to happen. You know, we, we've we've seen like Harden and Curry overcome alleged defensive woes, but they're more effective defenders than you typically hear about. And, you know, they're not, even at their worst, they weren't like absolute turnstiles. You know, Harden has always been an effective post defender, for example, but Trey was just awful. On yeah. that end. And no matter how good he is on offense, like he can't overcome that yet. And those guys were, were definitely nowhere near a top 30 ranking uh, when they were rookies. So it's it was just very surprising to see those guys go go that high. Out of principle, I don't think rookies should be ranked at all on these lists. And Zion Williamson at 42, ranked next to LaMarcus Aldridge at 41. That to me seemed very... Uh, very out there in terms of what ESPN is going to push this year. Yeah, and I kind of, uh, I'm kind of just disappointed with the Zion coverage in general. I, I, it feels like we're setting him up for failure, you know. And I'm totally on board with him being a future superstar. And could he be a top fifty player as a rookie? Absolutely. Like it wouldn't surprise me. But by putting these premature expectations on him, especially to this extent knowing that he's entering a team that has so many established contributors with with Drew Holiday and with JJ Redick who are who are going to be taking touches like again like it, it feels like we're setting him up for failure and it's it's so disappointing with such a a, a vibrant talent like they don't even have summer league as a background for him he played 5 to 6 minutes of summer league and and bowed out due to a sore yeah. knee so that to me is is very very bizarre uh I understand the pushing of young players and young talent in general because it drums up interest. It's what a lot of people like to see. They like to see the the top 10 players under 23 or 25 or or whatever it is. But uh, to me, they were shucking the veterans out of the way in favor of ranking some of these guys really high. Like Draymond Green at 38. Uh, Very bizarre. on my list of... of For a guy that has been a consistent perennial defensive player of the year candidate who basically, it it wasn't necessarily LeBron-esque, but really shaped how a point forward or point big could really impact an offense next to an extremely talented shooter in Stephen Curry and a talented shooter in Klay Thompson. Like, being a 38 after his performance in the playoffs is just very odd because if you're going to take the playoffs into account with CJ McCollum, then you probably have to take it into account with Draymond Green too, right? I totally agree. Um, I mean, he was incredible throughout the Portland series and really every single game that Kevin Durant missed, he was one of those players who took on that mantle and really elevated his performance. So it doesn't feel like this is the year to drop him down. He was 16th last year, so that's a 22-spot drop when – Based on what I'm seeing, you could 
make the opposite argument that he might deserve to be higher now, you know, just based on what his role is going to be with this this Golden State team that has a diminished level of talent. He's a guy who can elevate those around him, who they can lean on because he understands the system and because he's such an effective player on both ends of the court. It, it feels like, you know, even if D'Angelo Russell takes the ball out of his hands a little bit more, he's a great cutter who can make quick passes on dives. On, on dives, sorry. Um, so it, it seemed like the opposite should have happened here, and I, I just didn't really get that at all. Um. Last last one in terms of kind of the the most egregious placements. I I we don't we could talk about this all day in terms of like which players were oddly ranked or or what the valuation was for these guys. But Gary Harris at seventy, behind Lonzo Ball at sixty eight, and Gordon Hayward at sixty six. That very bizarre for for a company that that said that they watched they watched the playoffs and and watched. Gary Harris kind of take out Derek White and then limit DeMar DeRozan's impact when he was on him. It was just very weird all, all the way around. Are you sure you're not reading my notes? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, we, we've, we've had a lot of the same takes in terms of like our, our Twitter discussions. And <laughs> I think we, we, we definitely think in a very similar way. So I get it. Hey, Gary Harris, yeah, talk about him a little here. bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, like we said when we, we talked about his, his ranking at 48 on SI, you know, it's still, there's still some uncertainty here. Like, is he going to be fully healthy? What is he going to be when he's fully healthy? What is his role on this Denver team? It could go in so many different directions. And I don't know how fair it is to judge him either based on his diminished production this last season or the peak numbers that he put up two years ago. So I don't really know, but it's just based on the names ahead of him. You know, the two that you singled out, Lonzo Ball and Gordon Hayward, that just seemed unjustifiable to me. Even if you account for Lonzo being effective from an advanced metric standpoint and going into an advantageous role with the Pelicans, like, what does he do better than Gary Harris right now aside from maybe pass the ball? It's very, very limited amounts. And, and like, Gary Harris has, has showcased it on the highest level now. He went toe-to-toe with the Portland guards, and, and I thought he came out pretty well, or at least looked pretty well in those situations. Uh, had a really good Game 7 offensively, not not so great defensively, but it is what it is. But the fact is, he helped Denver get to that point, and neither neither Gordon Hayward nor Lonzo Ball really helped contribute to, to those discussions at all for their teams, so... Uh, either way, uh, get into some little big picture thoughts here for the Nuggets. Uh, what do you think these rankings say about kind of the national perception of Denver as a whole? Uh, are they are they properly valued? Do you think that uh, that Jokic is kind of given the the title of a of a first option versus SI really trying to rank Jamal Murray that high in there? How how do you think? team or people perceive Denver nationally right now? Well, I'm just going to throw out the ESPN rankings because I still don't really know what they mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just based on the SI ones, I think it says a lot, you know, that the fact that, that Jokic is unquestionably a top 10 guy, the fact that four players were ranked within the top 50, the fact that three players were listed among the honorable mentions, and really, like, you could have thrown Monte Morris into the honorable mentions as well. I get why they didn't, just based on the number of minutes that he played. <laughs> no, you don't. You you love Monte. I do love Monte Morris. Um, <laughs> he, he plays the exact brand of basketball that I love. It's that Chris Paul style where he's going to minimize mistakes, where he's only going to take good shots. He's going to make the ones that he takes. 
Um, I love everything that I see about him, but I, I, do, I do still get why he's not there just based on pure volume alone. But, you know, just, you know, four top 50 guys, three honorable mentions, maybe another one. The honorable mentions have a chance to, to break into that top 100. Uh, you talked about Jeremy Grant. I talked about Malik Beasley. Neither of us talked about Will Barton, but I'm excited to see what he can do with a more defined oh. role and more health at his disposal. He'll be so, back. He'll, he'll I talked to him last night. He'll be back. He's, he's going to be good. Yeah, and, and I don't doubt that at all. But, you know, in terms of national perception, I think it's it's showing that the Nuggets are no longer thought of as an up-and-comer, but are now an established contender. And that's a big leap to make. It's the one that comes before title contender, and that's the ultimate goal. Absolutely. Can't can't really say it anything better than that. So do you have any parting thoughts on, on these lists before before we get you out of here? Yeah, I guess go read Sports Illustrated twice so that you don't have to read ESPN. <laughs> Is that a valid? Is that a valid? Oh, plot? that's that's some shade being thrown right like, there. And, so. and no disrespect to the individual pieces at ESPN. Like there are so many brilliant minds working there. I just I want to know how this was compiled. I want to know what the exact specific goal was and the methodology that led into these strange results. Clicks. Yeah, I mean, I I hate being that cynical just <laughs> about it, but, but yeah, yeah, clicks. <laughs> That's too bad, but it is what it is. Hey, uh, other than NBA math and 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 Bleacher Report, where can people find your work? Uh, what are you working on right now? Is there anything you want to plug? Uh, you know, I feel like I should use this platform better, but I don't really have anything. I'm working on on developing a nine month old child, and that is uh, that is taking up all of my time right now. Uh, that is. That is proper player development right there. So he is Adam Fromall of uh, NBA Math, Bleacher Report. Keep reading his work wherever you find it. One of the best minds on NBA Twitter today. Uh, Adam, thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. All right, that's going to do it for Nuggets Numbers, and Media Day is next week, so we're going to have some new content being rolled out on Denver Stiffs. So keep it tight here, and we will see you guys next week. Next week.